Well, good morning again, everybody. So good to be able to uh, be with you here this morning. Um, and we are continuing our Share Your Style uh, sermon series. And so if you've not been with us or maybe you've missed a couple weeks, what we like to do in the beginning of each sermon is, is give you the main point, kind of the one-line main point of where we've been but also just to remind you that you have the opportunity to, to listen at pomerado.com slash messages. Uh, we're also available on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. And so uh, you'll be able to catch up on any sermons you may have missed that way. But what we want to do is, is talk about this series in which we, we know that we're all called to be witnesses to who God is with, and what he's done and how he loves. And this idea that we do so through our words, which is through sharing our faith. And through our actions, which is the idea of serving the world. And so when it comes to sharing our faith, that we might think there's a certain way to do it. That you have to be like a Billy Graham. Or you have to be like a, like a Ravi Zacharias, like apologetics, apologist type guy. Or, or maybe you have to be a certain way. Like whatever it looks like, that maybe we look at how other people share. Then we feel like we can't do that. Therefore, we can't share our faith. But the truth of the matter is is that all of us are called to be able to share our faith with people far from God. All of us have the ability to help bridge that gap so people who are far from him would be drawn near to him. And we are blessed to be able to be a part of that. That evangelism, as we talked about in the first week, comes from the word um, in the Greek that talks about being someone who proclaims a victory. And so as we were singing earlier about the victory that Christ has given us, that we are the ones who get to be messengers of that victorious day, that Easter Sunday when everything's changed. And so we have the opportunity to do that. And, and so we wanted to look at different styles of evangelism. And this comes from becoming a contagious Christian. All these six styles come from a becoming contagious Christian by Mark Middleberg, Lee Strobel, and Bill Hybels. And so you can look at that book uh, as well if you want a little bit more information. But here are the different styles we've been through already, and let's talk a bit about about them. The first one is the direct style of evangelism. And we talked about how direct evangelism, or the direct evangelism, yeah, may come across as being in your face. But the motivation is to help people meet Jesus face to face. So not all of us have this direct style, but for some people, they need to hear a very direct description and and, um, explanation of the gospel. Because maybe they're waffling between two things. Maybe they're on the side and like, I don't know what to believe. All the religions are the same, everything. And like, they need a very clear, like, no, we are, we have all fallen short of the glory of God. That God loves us, that we blew it, but Christ paid for it and we must receive him. And just giving that direct call to coming to faith. And so that direct style of evangelism, that's not all of us, but for many of us, that's the opportunity that we have there. The next one is this idea about the intellectual style. And for that one, we talked about how faith in Jesus doesn't mean having to check our brains at the door. It is through our brains that many will come to the door of faith. They're recognizing that if we're truly seeking after what is true, if we are earnestly seeking truth, we will find Jesus. Because he is the way, the life, and the truth. And so we don't have to, uh, being a Christian doesn't mean that you turn off your brains and that you just believe in some fantasy. No, no, no. There's reasonable, analytical, logistical, logical reasons why we believe. And, And yes, faith is being sure what we hope for and certain of what we do not see, but there's a foundation of truth. And so as the intellectual style, many of us might dive into apologetics to be able to have dialogue with people who that is how they will come to know Jesus. That, through their brains, is how they walk through the door of faith. Then uh, we talked about the serving style, that our actions for the gospel 
are equally as important as our voice for the gospel, that through serving, we could open up the door for people to receive the truth and receive the gospel. That um, when I went to Mother, uh, the Mother Teresa homes in India, it's this idea of, of through service, how many people were able to hear the gospel or understand the love of the gospel through the actions of Christians who serve, and in that case in India, but across the world. So our actions are equally as important as our voice for the gospel, that we love people not just with words, but with actions and deeds, as 1 John 3.18 talks about. And then last week, we talked about the testimonial style. And the testimonial style is the idea that people love a good story. And what better story can we share? What better story can we tell than how Jesus changed our lives? The people love stories. So let's share our story. And we could do it in bullet points. We can share it quickly. We can, we can share it and, and remember it so that if someone asks, hey, so why do you believe? It's not like, uh, well, no, like I once was blind, but now I see. I once was far from God, now I'm near to him. I once was living in death, and now I'm living in life. And so we looked at John chapter 9 and the blind man uh, who was healed. And he says, I don't know everything, but one thing I do, I once was blind, but now I see. And so now this morning, we're going to go into the interpersonal style, which is more like a relational friendship style. And so before we dive in, I'd ask that you join me in a word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for each person that is here in this room and each person that is listening online later. Lord, I pray that uh, they would know that they are prayed for, cared for, and loved. I pray that you would speak directly to them. I pray that I would decrease, that you would increase, that you would speak in a powerful, personal, impactful way. And Lord, that you would open up our eyes, open up our ears, open up our hearts to what it is that you have for us. May I decrease, may you increase, and may you be pleased with what we have learned together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So a couple, I think two weeks ago, I was here in the church office, and the phone rang. And I pick up the phone and, you know, say, Pomerado Christian Church, this is JP. And on the other line is a woman that says, I'm sorry, what? I'm like, oh, she's like, oh, I'm sorry. My kids have been screaming loud all weekend playing soccer. I want to let you know about this reason for me to call you. I'm like, you're not a real person. Like it was one of those robocalls where they try to be really friendly at first, right? And it's one of those where like, oh my goodness, how are you doing? Wow, that's great. I wanna let you know about the life insurance policy that we wanna offer for you. And you're like, what are you talking about? And it's one of these things where we get these calls all the time, um, we get them on our cell phones. Uh, I remember hearing a report recently that within the next couple of years, some people will guess that over 50% of mobile phone calls will be robocalls. And a robocall is any one in which it's automatically dialed or there's not a real person on the other side and they pretend uh, to get to know you. Now, some of these are really helpful because it might be like, don't forget that your prescription is available. Like, that's, that's fine. The other ones, when they try to like be my friend and then also tell me about something they want to sell me, feels a little disingenuous. And, and you're just kind of like, and yeah, I don't know. This woman, when she was on it, it was... Anyways, um, but it's this idea when I was picking up the phone, you, you think you're talking to someone and then there's almost like this bait and switch that happens. This thing in which you're like, you're, you're listening to someone or you're, you're talking to someone and all of a sudden it's like, oh, and I want to let you know about this thing. I want to sell you or what I can do. And what happens is, or what we want to be aware of is that it could be really easy um, when we know that we're called to be evangelists, to be able to share our faith, it could be easy for us, without intentionally doing it, it can be easy for us to try to befriend somebody who's far from God. 
and then they want to hear and we try to get to know them. And, and it could be easy for us to just do a bait and switch in which we want to get to know them. We, we, we're, we're friendly. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's so great. Let me hear about you. Also, I want to let you know about Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Now, is the heart bad? No. Is the heart wrong to share? Absolutely not. But are we doing so in a way that goes contradictory to the building of friendship and to be able to coming alongside someone? Are we doing it in a way that's going to be end up in the long run like me hanging up on the robocall lady? Is it going to be something where people are going to want to just hang up on us? They're going to want to cut us off because they thought they were getting a friend. But what they were getting was someone who, in their words, not ours, in their words, is trying to sell them something. So our main point this morning is the idea that by being a real friend, we can show people the gospel is real. By being a real friend, we can, you can show people the gospel is real. We're going to turn to Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. And as we do that, I spoke on this passage um, in November during our Resetting the Table series. And uh, when I spoke on it. I focused on one specific part of it, and we, we spent some time there. I'm going to focus on a slightly different part of it this morning, uh, but we're going to be in Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32, and it's on page 1601, 1601 in the church Bible, um, and I want to read this passage because this is the calling of Matthew or Levi, based on which uh, which gospel version, it's Matthew or Levi, was a tax collector. And it was when he was called to follow Jesus. And, and we're going to read the whole thing, and then I'm going to come back to one specific verse and let us kind of rest in that verse for a little while this morning. But this is what Luke chapter 5, verse 27 through 32 says. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So when we looked at that passage in um, November or so, the the idea is, we, the main point was that we know that Jesus came for the healthy and the sick, but not all of us understand what he means by the healthy and the sick. And so talking about how the idea, we think that there are sinners who are, who are bad and less than, and now that we are healthy, that, that now we are not needing it anymore. But rather the idea that Jesus came for those who were far from him. He came for those who would never walk into a, in this case, church building, or in their case, would never want to know anything about it. But he was there with the tax collectors, with the sinners, with those far from God in order to show them the love of God so they may know God. And so we talked about that, and that was in November. So I was a little reticent to use this passage again, but um, through the Becoming a Contagious Christian book, they use this verse in verse 29 as the example of how Levi or Matthew, based on... Um, which passage you're looking at, but how Levi was someone who had the interpersonal style of evangelism. Because what it says is that after he left everything and followed Jesus, he wanted more people to know about it. That a biblical example of the interpersonal style is through Levi. And verse 29 says, then he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. 
That I mean, that one of our first points with what it looks like to have an interpersonal style is that for many of us, this style may come most easily when we first follow Jesus. Because when we first follow Jesus, that's the time in which we are more surrounded by our friendships, our people who don't know Jesus. And so like Levi, when we leave everything, we follow him, we trust in him as a Lord, and we trust in him as our Savior, that all of a sudden we want all of our friends to know. And this is something that we do with, with anything, right? In which friends will give recommendations to other friends. Friends will let friends know um, something that worked for them or something that they're excited about. And, and friends share recommendations because, when the, because of the foundation of a friendship and relationship there. When someone re- makes a recommendation, then you're more willing to listen because you're like, oh, we have a friend. I trust you. That who else would a tax collectors and sinners trust other than one of their own at this time? Because the Pharisees were harsh to them and, and made them feel less than. And so who else, if a tax collector, sorry, if a Pharisee was saying, oh, you know, you need to come to God. A tax collector or sinner, I'm like, yeah, but you treat me horribly and, and you, 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 don't, you don't show any of God's love. So why would I want that? When a tax collector, Levi, comes to know Jesus and invites them. That's something that they want to partake in. And so they come into this great banquet. And so, again, we do this all the time. That for me, uh, I have this app I've shared with some of you. Uh, this, it's this Hoopla app. And Hoopla is an app in which um, it's connected to a library card. And it's a way for you to listen to audiobooks or, uh, e- or read ebooks um, for free, and you rent it for like three weeks. And so for me, when I'm driving, when I like show pictures of like, oh, I read this book recently, usually I've listened to this book on my drive, when I'm at the gym, whatever it may be. And so I tell people like, oh, I like to, you know, I, I don't know when I have time to read. I'm like, well, let me tell you about this Hoopla app. Because it's this opportunity for you to listen, and you have three weeks to listen to it, and it's like you're renting it, and then it goes back. You get like eight or nine different rentals a month, and so it's free. It's completely free, and it's connected to a free library card, so there's no reason not to do it. And so you share that, and you know people are like, oh, what's that called? I'm like, hoopla. Like, what's all the hoopla about? And it's one of those where it's a really cool thing. It's so small, right? Or maybe someone gives you a recommendation for a movie to watch or a TV show to to watch, or a restaurant to eat in. It's like we naturally do this, and because there's an establishment of friendship, a foundation of friendship, that then we're able to trust what they say. And so Matthew, or Levi, Levi's friends were tax collectors too. So when he shared about Jesus, they trusted him enough, because of their friendship, to go to the banquet. The next point we have is that Matthew, Matthew was intentional He was intentional about creating opportunities for his friends to learn more about Jesus. It takes intentionality. Because what he did is is he brought people together. Obviously, he provided food, right? Like, let's be honest. He brought food. He said, come here about this Jesus guy. I want you to know I can't help but share. Because of our friendship, trust me, come. He's already changed my life. He's already shown me value. And he said to follow me. And there's so many Jewish backgrounds of how important that call was for a rabbi to tell someone to follow them in the past. That they, that person to be followed had to be the best of the best of the best. So for a tax collector to be invited to follow a rabbi, it makes no sense to us why he left everything and followed him. Unless it is, you know, 
almost April 15th, so I'm sure many tax collectors wish that they could be done right now. But it's one of those where, in general, it's one of those where there, it makes no sense for us to leave your whole thing when Jesus says, follow me. But for them, he was showing them more value. He was showing Matthew more value than he ever could have had because he was showing that he was loved by God and that a rabbi was calling him into following him. In uh, Acts chapter 13, verse 38, it talks about how, therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Therefore, my friends, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. That when, when it comes to this evangelistic style of interpersonal style, this is such a great verse as a reminder for us to let them know that we want our friends to know who Jesus is. That we could talk about sports, that we could talk about movies, we could talk about the economy, and we could talk about all these different things. But if we're talking all about the superficial on the outside and not hitting to the crux and the core of what's on the inside, then we're missing opportunities to be a true friend. We're missing opportunities to do that. And so we must be intentional about doing that. Now, one of the examples that um, they talk about in the book, but also uh, that we've heard before, these things called Matthew parties. I don't know if any of you have heard of a Matthew party before, but it's all based off of this passage. It's the idea that Matthew, when he came to know the Lord, invited his friends who didn't know the Lord, and he invited the Lord, um, and he also invited the disciples. But it's one of those where he got people who were far from God, got people who were near to God because of Jesus, and just brought them together, had food, and just got them to get to know one another. What it wasn't was a, hey, come to my house, and then doing a timeshare presentation. It wasn't a bait and switch. It was, I've genuinely been changed. I want you to know Jesus. And so he just brings people together far and near, and they have food together, and they celebrate, and, and relationships can be built and lives can be changed through something as simple as a banquet. And so for us, we have the opportunity to maybe if some of you have the gift of hospitality, you love having people over and people love going to your house. What an awesome opportunity is to have Matthew parties, to have an opportunity where maybe it's something is, you know, when it comes to uh, the Super Bowl and you just bring people at the Super Bowl parties, hey, I'm hoping hosting a Super Bowl party. And there's some people who know the Lord, some who don't, but then just friendships can be built because who knows? Maybe someone that you've been trying to reach, but, but hasn't had the opportunity to do it or it hasn't worked out. Maybe one of your friends who already knows the Lord already has some sort of connection where that person who doesn't know him yet can bond. And maybe that person helps your friend come to know Jesus. And what you don't do is you don't have like, you know, 10 Christians and like two that aren't and they feel like ganged up on, right? It's one of those where you just have a conversation and you don't have this, this overall plan, but a Matthew party is a place and an opportunity in which if we are intentional about creating the space, creating opportunities for people far from God and near to God to get them together in near in community, the gospel can radically change their lives, that we could see those far from him being brought near to him. And then the third point there is that after following Jesus, we must stay intentional about spending time with people who need him. We must spend or be intentional about spending time with people who need him. <clears throat> Last night at the Hume dinner, uh, there was a game in which um, uh, Dan had 
someone from the, like a student and then someone who's either a Gen Xer or a late boomer uh, come up and they did different uh, terminology, different, different slang for different generations. And it was really fun just to be able to hear them both try to figure out what like yeet means. Um, it's just all these different things. It was really funny. And that is an actual word and you can ask your young ones what that means. Um, but it's this idea where there's a word that wasn't in there, but um, there's this word that has been coming up more frequently uh, called ghosting. Has anyone heard of ghosting before? Okay, so it's nothing supernatural, it's, it's paranormal, it's nothing like that. What it is, is it's the idea of, whether it's through friendships, social media, whether it's online dating, but it's the idea that someone might, they might have a connection with someone, and then out of nowhere, for no reason, no explanation, and no heads up, they, this one person just completely cuts off contact. And this person might say, hey, what's, how are you doing? Or, hey, what's going on? And there's just this wall. It's like they've, they've been ghosted. They've been to the point where they've been completely separated and the, the wall has been there. The other person has completely just disappeared without any explanation. What happens is, is that the only thing worse than this idea of a robocall with someone who's pretending to be your friend is this idea of being ghosted in which someone who was your friend is no longer keeping in contact anymore and just cutting you off. And the reason I bring it up is that for many of us, when we first become Christians, we have all intentions of staying connected with people far from God. And that's beautiful. That's great. But then what happens is that for many of us, now we want, we're so excited about this newfound faith that we want to get involved in as many small groups as we can and serve in as many different opportunities as we can and to be doing as many different things for the Lord, which again are awesome things. But what can happen is that our friends that we made before we knew the Lord over here are now seeing us when, hey, when you weren't Christian, we were close. And now that you follow Jesus, I've been ghosted. I've been separated. You've cut me off. And we're not intentionally, many times, we're not intentionally doing it. Now, let me do a quick sidebar. If there's someone who's causing you to stumble to sin and you need to separate from that relationship, there is an idea of not being unequally yoked, right? Like there's an idea that we don't want to just stay around people who are going to cause harm and, and cause us to stumble. So I'm not talking about those. What I'm talking about are just friendships that we knew them before. And now they look at us and they're just like, what happened to you? You used to be my friend. And now... You follow Jesus, but we're not friends anymore. And so what we need to do is to be intentional, to find ways to make sure that we are intentionally still setting time apart. Should we still get in a Bible study? Absolutely. Should we still serve? Absolutely. Should we still do these things for the Lord? Absolutely. But let's not do them to the point where then we forsake our friendships that God might have strategically placed you in their lives for them to come to know Jesus in time. That you might be the best representation of the gospel to them. So let us not be ones that in that representation of the gospel are people who leave when someone needs it, that we are, but rather that we are friends at all times. And we are there for them and we show them that love. And so we have to be intentional. We have to set aside time and to make sure that we're doing that. And when um, I first became a Christian, my brother's 12 years older than me. And so when I first became a Christian, I intentionally would go up. Uh, he lives in San Francisco. I was going to school uh, down here. Or actually, we're out of school, but I was working in L.A. County, and we're married and all that. And so I remember whenever we would go up to the Bay Area to visit family, I would intentionally make sure that we would, me and my brother would have a chance to go get food. And we'd often go to the Giants game. Um, and usually by like the third inning, it was just done. So we would just talk because, you know, 
Giants. But it's one of those where we ended up like just having conversation um, and it was intentional. I'm like, when I'm in town, I want to spend time with him. And so there's been, you know, uh, we don't spend as much time together by any stretch of the imagination, but it was one of those where in my mind, I knew the importance of being intentional about it. And so we look at these different things that with Matthew in this story, we see how he was, it's easy for us, maybe easier when we first follow Jesus, that we must create opportunities, whether it's Matthew parties or other creative ways, but that also we must be intentional about still spending time with people who need God. So that this friendship style of evangelism through relationship, people will know that they could trust us. And it's not just this bait and switch, but that there's a genuine care and love and concern for those people in our lives that God has placed us to be. Now, what I want to do is take a few moments to look at as we close. Uh, for those of us who have the interpersonal style, that when I took the test, this was my number two. Um, so my first one was last week of the testimonial. This is my second one. Let's go through a strength, blind spot, caution, suggestion, and encouragement. The strength, that your warm and compassionate personality will help people understand the warm and compassionate love of God. That by being welcoming, being loving, being friendly, reaching out, how can, I, how can I spend time with you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? That that will open up the door for them to not see God as someone who's cold, someone who's uncaring. That someone who maybe, maybe some people believe that he created the world, but that now he's so removed from it that he has no interaction in our actual daily lives. That we have the opportunity to invest and show the love of God through the personality. And that goes for all personalities and all styles of uh, evangelism, by the way. But for this one specifically, by being warm and compassionate, you open the door to who God is. The blind spot that many people with this style, many won't share the gospel out of fear that the friendship will be damaged. Because we fear the bait and switch, right? We fear this idea that we're going to hurt someone and all of a sudden have this bait and switch. So what we do is we have this opportunity to, we don't parade it in front of them. We don't, we don't you know, have an altar call every time we have coffee with them. But we do let them know that we love Jesus. And when we let people know that we love Jesus, when they're in a time of need or when things are difficult, they will know that someone who loves them loves Jesus, and that might be the open door that they need to be able to know that someone cares, someone will pray for them and come alongside them. And so many won't share the gospel out of fear that the, the friendship will be damaged, but what better way to be a friend to someone than sharing the gospel with them? That it's not just about the, the surface on the outside, but that we would truly know the core questions of our lives. Why am I here? What's my purpose? And how does God fit into that? Well, you are here because you are fearfully and wonderfully made, that God makes wonderful works, and you are one of them. We know that full well. That your purpose is to have a right relationship with God, to know him in eternity. That John 17, 3 talks about how Jesus says, eternal life is knowing me, so knowing Jesus, and the Father whom sent me. That eternal life doesn't start when we die. Eternal life starts when we come to Jesus and we truly learn how to live. And so we're able to have eternal life and invite other people into that. And because of friendship and care and coming alongside people, it's not a bait and switch. Just out of who we are and out of our love for God and our love for our friends, we're able to show them that love and to walk alongside them in that journey. So not being afraid to share what God has done in your life, not being afraid to share the, the gospel and who Jesus is. The caution. We need to remember that people 
are people, not projects. Remember that people are people, not projects. We talked earlier about this idea of this robocall, this automatic call that happens. That Some of us, again, we might fall into a robocall to evangelism, this idea that we know we're called to it, but we do so in a mechanic, robotic way in which the friendship, like, it's a bait and switch, and people don't, they feel, they know that maybe you don't, maybe you say you care about me, but in the end, you care more about, you know, saying, oh, I helped someone come to Jesus, or, or, or I shared the gospel, I did my good Christian thing for the day. And yes, we should care about people coming to Jesus, and yes, we should care about sharing the gospel, but if people sense that we are more concerned about checking off a box on our list of being a good Christian, more so than they feel like we just love them, and this is how we love them, then it's going to push people away. I read a book, uh, listened to a book on Hoopla, um, by Caleb Kaltenbach, and when he talks about, I want to I put a quote up here, when he talks about this idea of people versus projects, he says, do you know what our tendency is? And this is our tendency as Christians. He says, our tendency is we befriend people who are not Christian, and then we treat them as our pet projects. We unleash our evangelistic moves on them. The project then becomes scared, thinks we're weird, and runs. And who can blame them? Being treated like a project is demeaning. Do you know what a project is? It's something you can work on for a while before moving on. That when we think about this word of project, I can think about group projects going to school and I don't still think about that. I still don't go back to that project. That's not something I'm emotionally tied to. When we think of project, we think of short term, a lot of energy and investment early on, and then we put it away and forget all about it. Now, when that's a school project from college 15 years ago, fine, who cares? When we start to treat people that way, it's not fine. And God cares. That we must remember that people are people. We don't treat them as a project so we can check off a box on our list that we can notch our belts, but we love them. We build friendships with them. We share Jesus with them. We're not, we're not timid so that we don't share, but when we do, it's out of a love because I care about you so much. If I knew someone that was sick and that's something where, okay, maybe you need to change your, your nutrition in order to make sure that you can have the right food so that you can be healthy, why would I say, oh, I'm gonna keep giving you chili cheese Fritos and chili cheese fries? That's not being a friend to them. But if we call out and we say, hey, listen, I think I know what's going on and, and, and I'm concerned for you as my friend and I would love to be able to pray with you. And if there's any questions that I can maybe answer for you or find out the answer for with you and talk with you and have coffee with you and live life with you and be a friend to you, we treat people like people because God didn't send Jesus down just to save projects. He sent Jesus down to save people. That the far would be brought near, those who were living in death would be made to bring life, eternal life. And that we have the opportunity to proclaim the victory of the gospel. So when someone knows that you love them for who they are, the foundation is set for them to know that God loves them too. The suggestion, last two points. Suggestion, step outside of the Christian bubble. It's kind of self-explanatory, but just 
finding ways, whether it is having Matthew parties, maybe it's going to the same restaurant and getting to know the people who work there or the same coffee shop. Maybe it's getting your kids or your grandkids involved in activities, whether it's sports or rec leagues or whatever it might be, that when you go out to those things, it's not only people who go to church. And so that's something more, again, are Christian activities bad? No, but we are also called to find ways to be salt and light in the world. So how do we intentionally create opportunities for people to know Jesus? How do we step outside of the Christian bubble and do so in a way where we can be a light in a dark place? Because if we're only surrounded by Christians and we're a light, then we're all lighting up the same room together, but the room's already lit. If we have an opportunity to be a light in a dark place, God will change lives. And we can continue to be a part of that process. And then the encouragement is this the idea that building true friendships can take time and intentionality, but the impact can be eternal and rewarding. It can be eternal and rewarding. That the fear is, you know, how long, it takes time to build friendships. That's to create space in my schedule to have friendships. Yeah, you do. I have to have intentionality and I need to make sure it takes, it takes a long, yeah, it does. Anything really worth anything isn't necessarily easy. And so being able to recognize that the rewards of being able to be there with a friend when they give their lives to Jesus, to be able to pray with them, to be able to baptize them or to see them get baptized, to be able to know that God has used you to be able to be a light in a dark place, to bring those far from God near to God, to know that you have been placed strategically and he used you so that someone else would be in heaven so that when you go to heaven, when he calls you home, you'll recognize that there are other people there because you lived. What greater joy is there than that? What greater reward is there than that? Because we've talked about this before in previous sermons, but one of the only things that we can do on earth that we cannot do in heaven is sharing our faith with the lost. Because everyone there will already know Jesus. Here, not everyone does yet, so we can have the opportunity to do that and be able to share. So as we close, I, I hope... And for some of us, this style is a style in which it comes naturally. This is one of the most popular styles, one of the most common styles. And, and we're in such a world in which any robocall, any um, letter that we know is just going to be a sales thing, anything when we feel like we're trying to be sold something is something that we automatically turn our, we block it off, we turn our eyes away from it. Because we're so tired of advertisements and so tired of being bombarded with all these pleas to do something. And so when we go beyond just this robocall, we go beyond just this idea of, okay, we have to do this, sharing our faith. But when we peel back those layers and we invest in people, we spend time with people, we create opportunities through Matthew parties or other areas, when we love people with the compassionate and warm love of God, when we are able to invite people into our lives so that they could see how Jesus has changed our lives, then we're able to truly be their friend. And it's not a bait and switch. But instead, it's the opportunity to recognize that we're not here to bait and switch, but God is calling us to be fishers of men. And so we need to be able to build relationship, to be able to breach those who don't know him yet. And through that relationship, what would it look like 
I'm going to ask all of you to close your eyes in a moment as the band starts to get moving forward. Close your eyes, and I want just you to picture someone in your life that you know, whether it's a friend, family member, coworker, neighbor, student, a fellow student, someone you know that knows Jesus, or that needs to know Jesus, I'm sorry, that needs to know Jesus. That at my previous church, we had this thing called a one life, and the idea was, who's the one person, one person at a time that you want to share the relationship with Jesus with? And I want you to picture that person's face. I want you to think about their name. I want you to think about your different interactions with them, the highs, the lows, the ups and downs, whether you've known them for decades or only for days. But if God and the Holy Spirit is putting someone on your heart right now, I want you to picture who they are. And then, I want you to be able to just picture what it would look like. Picture the joy on their face when that person, when they are called home and they die, but they were to open up their eyes and they were to meet Jesus. That they were to have eternal life with Jesus because why? Because you were their friend and you shared Jesus with them. You lived life with them. You didn't bait and switch them. You didn't treat them as projects, but you invested time and intentionality in them and they get to experience the joy of eternal life, knowing Jesus and the Father who sent him. Picture that joy. Picture their face exuding that joy. And then picture the joy that you will feel to be behind them, cheering them on. Recognizing that you played a part in God saving someone far from him and bringing them near to him. Father, as our eyes are closed, we thank you so much that you have put us in positions to, that you put someone on our mind, on our heart, Lord. And we pray, I pray for each and every person whose name was just pictured or whose face was just pictured in this room by people who are sitting here right now. And I, I pray for each and every one of them, Lord, that you would be drawing those people near to you and that you would use us, those people here that are in this room, that you've stirred in our hearts to be able to reach those far from God. God, I pray that you would give us the opportunities, that we would have the eyes to see our opportunities and not to be distracted by other things going on, but that we would intentionally carve aside time, that we would intentionally invest in people, not treat them as projects. I pray that we would be able to be bold in sharing what you've done in our lives so that they can see what, they might be able to, what you might be able to do in their lives and the time comes. And Lord, I pray that we would decrease and that you would increase in our conversations. That when people talk to us, they don't say, oh, so-and-so is a good friend. What they would say is that so-and-so knows Jesus. And because they know Jesus, we, they're good friends. So Lord, I pray that you would stir within our hearts. And I pray that we would point people to the fact that you alone are the cornerstone of our lives. We love you. In your son's holy and precious name we pray. Amen. May you leave today, um, hopefully encouraged, 
hopefully recognizing that God has equipped you to be able to share your faith with those around you. Um, I hope that you know that, again, you are prayed for, cared for, and loved before you walk into this room, and we would love to keep praying for you, uh, whether it's through filling out a card, or I'll be up here at the front uh, if you'd like to come forward for prayer. But um, for some of you, you are in a season right now where the idea of pouring into other people is a little overwhelming because you feel like you need someone to pour into you. You're struggling, heartache, loss, brokenness, sadness, whatever that might be. And if that's you, please let us pray for you. Um, but also remember that it's often through our weakness that God is made strong. That it's through our brokenness that God makes us whole and allows us to reach others who are experiencing brokenness too. So I just pray that you know that God loves you. If you heard nothing else this morning, May that be what you take hold of as you leave and as you go about your week. Thank you all so much for coming. Uh, we look forward to seeing you in a, uh, next week. And um, Easter's two weeks away, which is crazy. And we're looking forward to that as well. So God bless you guys. I'll be up here uh, to pray. Um, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next Sunday.